0: section three of the three lieutenants this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit LibriVox.org. dot org the three lieutenants by william henry giles kingston chapter two part two Murray came on board the frigate the next day to see jack and terence he was pleased with the corvette as far as she herself was concerned she is as fine a little craft as i could wish for but he added the commander is one of the oddest fish i ever fell in with he has not been to sea for a number of years and having as he says turned his sword into a ploughshare has devoted his mind to farming and rural sports unwilling to tear himself altogether from his beloved bees and sheep and pigs and poultry he has brought them along with him and has converted the little ship into a regular noah's ark the boats are turned into sheep-pens and hen-coops and the decks cumbered with ox-stalls and hay-stacks if the latter in the meantime do not catch fire the admiral when he comes to inspect us will order them and the greater portion of the live-stock to be landed and we shall probably benefit by the remainder as they must be killed for want of food so we have said nothing to him as yet on the subject but holtote our first grumbles and looks askance at the beast every time he goes along the deck and declares that the ship is more like a tim's barge than a man-of-war while grummet the boatswain grins ominously at them and tells the butcher to keep his knife sharp as he will have work enough on his hands before long old Babacom is afflicted it seems with absence of mind the day after he joined the ship he sang out to a midshipman let my cab be brought round to the door the youngster stared do you hear what did i say you desire to have your cab brought round to the door sir answered the midshipman trying to stifle his laughter ah did i exclaimed the commander well possibly it's no easy matter to change one's mode of expression on a sudden i mean man my gig i am going on shore the first day he attempted to carry on duty he threw all the crew into convulsions by shouting out woe ho woe ho there i mean a vast hauling you lubbers and he swore and stamped with rage when he saw the men tittering near him and wanted to know what they were laughing at probably we shall hear more of commander Babacom murray's account highly amused his friends well aleck you may possibly pick up a few wrinkles which may be of use to you when your time comes and you settle down on the highland farm you used to talk about said jack laughing i would sacrifice so remote a benefit for the sake of having the ship look rather more like a man-of-war than she does at present answered murray two days after this a lighter was seen alongside the corvette when truss after truss of hay was lowered into her then came two fat oxen and lastly nearly a dozen sheep any more coming asked the master of the lighter no no exclaimed the commander who had been looking on with rueful countenance adding as he turned aft clenching his fist and pulling at his hair i'd sooner throw up my command than part with them the frigate and corvette were ready for sea at the same time and went out together to spithead still their destination was unknown the tailors the jews and even the bumboat women were unable to solve the mystery the fact being that the lords of the admiralty had not decided themselves ships were wanted at three different stations but economy being the order of the day all three could not be supplied the west the south american station and the pacific were spoken of at length captain hemming announced that he had received orders to proceed to jamaica and that the Tudor was to accompany the plantagenet more stores and provisions were received on board till every locker and cranny in the two ships was filled as adair remarked to bursting admiral triton came on board the frigate to wish his young friends good-bye i cannot say that i hope you'll come back crowned with glory and your pockets filled with prize-money for such things are not to be picked up nowadays he said shaking jack's hand but may you enjoy health and happiness and have many a long yarn to spin about your adventures in the west indies or wherever you may be sent to and i suspect that your captain has got orders to proceed rather farther than you at present expect as the kind old admiral went down the side the anchor was run up to the bows to the sound of the merry fife the topsails were sheeted home and the two ships glided westward over the smooth waters of the solent it was a lovely morning a few fine weather clouds were to be seen here and there in the sky but there were not enough of them to obscure the noonday splendor of the sun the duck trousers and shirts of the crews looked clean and summerish the new gold lace on the uniforms of the officers glittered brightly as they paced the deck or hurried here and there as duty called the sentries with gleaming arms and white belts the fresh paint the light-coloured copper the snowy canvas all indicated that the ships were just out of harbour to many an admiring eye from ryde pier and from yachts large and small as the frigate followed by the corvette with a leading wind ran past the shores of the isle of Wight towards the needle's passage numberless yachts skimmed by them those fairy-like fabrics which englishmen alone know how thoroughly to enjoy varying in size from lord yarborough's superb falcon to the tiny craft whose owner is probably proud of her in inverse ratio to her tonnage all is not gold that glitters and the fair admirers of the graceful frigate and corvette would have been somewhat horrified could they have witnessed the various scenes taking place within the dark recesses of the ships and had they heard the language neither refined nor pious uttered by their sturdy crews and it must be confessed by some of the officers also not by jack rogers though for neither oath nor unbecoming phrase ever issued from his honest lips the mate of the lower deck with the pursers clerks and assistants had provisions and articles innumerable to stow away the gunner boatswain and carpenter their respective stores to look to indeed in every department order had to commence its reign where chaos had hitherto seemed to prevail operations not to be performed without their due allowance of shouting and swearing on deck all went smoothly and under the pleasantest of auspices the two ships ran through the needles and stood down channel tom and patty desmond for of course he was so called as tom said he would be were as jolly as possible and laughed at seasickness or any of the ill's landsmen are subject to they were not going to be ill not they already they began to consider themselves first-rate sailors for they could go aloft and skylark as fearlessly as young monkeys and box the compass and had some notion when the helm was a-lee and the headsails backed against the mast that the ship would come about as yet to be sure they had had only light winds and smooth water but even a heavy gale would make no difference to them of that they were very sure old higson grinned sarcastically when he heard them say so oh of course sucking nelsons like you are above such weaknesses we shall see though when the time comes the proof of the pudding is in the eating Faith, I hope to have some better pudding to eat than this hard duff, answered patty who seldom understood the meaning of the proverbs higson was in the habit of quoting the old mate only laughed though he had a colt to keep the turbulent in order he seldom used it treating the two youngsters with more consideration than he might have done under other circumstances out of respect to rogers and adair though they were under the impression that it was owing to their own merits and were apt accordingly to take liberties with him he behaved to them as a good-natured bear might towards a couple of playful children whom he could munch up in a moment i say tom couldn't we be after playing some trick like that the admiral told us of which your brother and my uncle terence played off on lieutenant spry with Quacco the monkey said gerald one day to his messmate when they were alone together it would be mighty good fun i should like to do something of the sort amazingly but once when jack was telling me some of the tricks of his midshipman days he gave me a strong hint not to imitate them as he would certainly be down upon me answered tom for all he is so good-natured he can be wonderfully strict i can tell you he was saying that tricks are very well in their way if they are original and have fun in them but that those who play them must look out for the consequences i shouldn't have supposed that of him said gerald i'm after thinking now that my uncle terence would be as ready for any fun as he ever was in his life very likely but he mightn't approve of our indulging in it notwithstanding answered tom however if you can think of anything i'm willing enough to lend a hand we can't play lieutenant jennings such a trick as they did old spry because he's too wide awake and wouldn't stand it besides we've no quacko to dress up in his uniform by the by i hope that we shall be able to get a jolly monkey before long at jamaica or elsewhere i don't know if they run wild in the woods there indeed it might be as well to have a civilized one who knows how to behave himself and then i think we might manage to play old scrofton the boatswain a trick how asked gerald eagerly don't you know that he has got a notion in his head that men are descended or rather i should say ascended from apes which he declares has been proved by a lord Monboddo or some other wiseacre and if we had a monkey we might somehow or other put his theory to the test and at all events have some fun with the old fellow capital i'll think over what can be done exclaimed gerald rubbing his hands with glee do the gunner and carpenter agree with him no the three are constantly disputing on the subject i heard them yesterday and they are probably at it again to-day come below it will be good fun to hear them the midshipman found the three warrant officers in the boatswain's cabin he was seated the other standing at the door leaning against the bulkheads they took up a position so as not to be seen within earshot the gunner was arguing that if men have grown out of monkeys there would be none of the latter left as they would all have turned into men and the carpenter declared that though he had wandered all the world over he had never met with one half-way between a man and a monkey which he should have done if any change does take place have you ever seen apes without tails asked old scrofton triumphantly yes answered jimlet with blue faces and hinder ends of the same colour but they moved on all fours and though we had one aboard and did our best to teach him to speak and light a fire make himself useful he could never do anything and remained as great a beast as ever to the cut of his clays of course said blake the gunner a man's a man and a beast's a beast and there are no greater beasts than apes that's my opinion whatever lord what do ye call him or any other of your philosophers says to the contrary i tell you it's all down in my book as clear as a pike-staff and it's my lord Monboddo says it exclaimed mr scrofton indignantly he i should think would know more about the matter than any warrant officer in her majesty's or any captain or commander to boot the midshipman's laughter made the gunner pop his head out when they feeling ashamed of acting longer the part of eavesdroppers moved off oh scrofton is fair game anyhow said desmond i wonder a man can be such a fool he is a very good boatswain notwithstanding my brother jack says observed tom mr scrofton was a character as are many other warrant officers they must indeed besides being sober and steady and good seamen be somewhat above the average as to intellect to obtain their appointments while their eccentricities and peculiarities have generally not till then been noticed possessing but a limited amount of education the boatswain of the plantagenet endeavoured on attaining his present rank to instruct himself and having no one to advise him he had purchased some books at haphazard the contents of which he respected the more that they were totally beyond his comprehension the work mentioned was among them, and as he thought that he understood it, best it was his chief favourite he was a short spare man with a red-faced tanned by tropical suns ferretty eyes sharp as needles and huge black whiskers which stuck out like studding-sails on either side of his countenance once upon a time it was reported a russian admiral on visiting the ship to which he belonged was much astonished when scrofton was pointed out to him as the boatswain what? so small a fellow as that he exclaimed we always select our boatswains from men six feet high and upwards who can use their rattans with good effect small as he was the boatswain of the plantagenet had a voice which could be heard amid the loudest strife of the elements and being a thorough seaman he was respected by the crew in spite of his philosophical notions about which they cared nothing he was extremely loath to get the men punished if he could help it and never swore at them in the way they call swearing not that they would have minded it much if he had though he occasionally seasoned his remarks with expressions gleaned from his books which had the more force that their meaning was utterly incomprehensible he entertained a friendly feeling for the two young midshipmen whom he took great pains to instruct in their nautical duties and under his tuition they soon gained a fair knowledge of the arts of knotting, splicing and other practical details of their profession nor did he entertain a suspicion that they held his philosophical opinions otherwise than in profound respect jack and adair gave them lessons in navigation so that they had advantages not generally possessed by youngsters in those days who had not been to the naval college tom having got the start though only of a few days kept steadily ahead of his companion he had had the advantage of better training at school as far as navigation was concerned dick needham also who had been rated as boatswain's mate was another of their instructors and as he was always in good humour and took the greatest possible pains to teach them all he knew they gained as much from him as from any one else the frigate and corvette sailed forward on their course across the atlantic with every stitch of canvas they could carry set slow and aloft two or three times they were totally becalmed when the officers of the two ships paid visits to each other murray with archie gordon had come on board the plantagenet well gordon how do you get on aboard the corvette was the natural question put by tom very weel but we've much the same sort of thing to do every day washing and holy stoning decks in the morning and exercising at the guns and mail-arms in the forenoon and studying navigation and seamanship and sick-like answered archie faith that's what we've to do here said gerald i came to sea to enjoy some fun but we've not had much of it yet though to be sure we lead a jolly life take it all in all the fun will come in time observed tom we never can tell what will turn up perhaps before long who knows murray was with jack and terence in the gun-room well and how does old Babacom get on asked jack he is amusing enough but not altogether satisfactory as a commander answered murray he and taught are continually disputing and he never comes on deck without finding fault at which hall taught very naturally sets up his back and generally finishes by going below the commander seldom attempts to carry on duty and that only in fine weather without making some egregious blunder and he always excuses himself by observing i don't admire the new-fangled ways you young men have of doing things we manage matters very differently on board the old orion i can tell you or as he walks up and down the deck examining everything not in existence when he was last at sea he exclaims we'll change all this presently it doesn't come up to my notions never saw thingambobs fitted in this way before we have eaten most of his sheep as it was necessary to kill them for want of provender but if the rest live till we reach madeira he will i conclude lay in a fresh supply his pigs are however his great delight he gloats over them and spends an hour every day in currying them as he would a horse they do him credit for they are as sleek and fat as poodles though he avows that he is fond of pork i suspect that he will never bring himself to order one of them to be slaughtered to his credit i must say that he does not swear at the men he is not however liked by them when a lieutenant he got the name of jib and foresail jack and it sticks to him still when he had the watch at night he would be always bothering them to alter sails and it was they say up jib and down jib and up foresail and down foresail every minute he carries on much in the same way at present and seldom comes on deck without shaking his head as he looks aloft and shouting out another pull at the lee braces mr hall taught we always trim sails properly on board the old orion sir or some such complimentary remark to our much enduring first the boatswain has a dog a favourite with the men which goes by the no uncommon name of shakings the commander detests shakings who he unjustly declares worries his sheep one evening poor shakings fell overboard the men were in despair knowing that the commander would not dream of heaving to to pick him up i saw what had occurred and was going to intercede for the dog when i heard a voice from forward sing out one of the captain's pigs overboard there he goes astern the commander ran to the taffrail just then there was a splash and as i looked over the side i saw one of his sleek pigs swimming as fast as it could away from the ship the commander soon caught sight of his favourite the ship was hove to a boat lowered and the boatswain who jumped into her and managed to pick up the dog before he reached the other animal avowed roundly that shakings had jumped overboard to save the pig jack and terence laughed heartily at murray's account of his commander given as it was with all the gravity imaginable well we bear with him as best we can he added and only hope that he may ere long return to the bosom of his family and to the congenial pursuits which occupy his thoughts a light breeze springing up compelled murray and his companions to return to their ship that night during the middle watch tom and gerald who were fast asleep in their hammocks were aroused by the boatswain's shrill pipe and gruff voice bawling all hands on deck shortened sail they turned out with the rest most of the officers and crew were on deck before they reached it the frigate caught in a squall was heeling over till her lee scuppers were under water while dark foam-crested seas came rolling up deluging her deck fore and aft the fore-top-gallant mast had been carried away and was striking against the fore-topsail ready to sweep to destruction the hands who were swarming on the yard the main and mizzen-top-gallant sheets had been let fly and the sails were flapping wildly in the gale while the wind whistling through the rigging ropes slashing about the seas dashing the bulkheads creaking the masts and spars groaning, created a perfectly deafening uproar then came a clap like thunder the foretack had parted and the block striking a seaman had carried him overboard to attempt to pick him up was useless he must have been killed instantaneously for a moment there was confusion but the voice of the captain heard above all other sounds quickly restored order while the topmen were clearing away the wreck of the fore gallant mast the most dangerous task handing the main and mizzen topgallant sails and reefing topsails the courses were hauled up and the frigate riding flew forward on her course the sudden movement threw tom and gerald who had been holding on to the capstan off their legs and the next moment as she again heeled over to the gale sent them rolling into the lee scuppers where they lay sprawling in the mass of water washing across the deck gerald striking out with arms and legs under the belief that he was overboard help help heave us a rope where is it you are tom don't be after giving up swim away he cried out as he got his head above the water still rushing round him tom was striking out lustily as gerald soon discovered by a kick he received from his foot of which he caught hold supposing it to be the end of a rope tom struggled the more to release himself having found out that he was safe on deck let go i say or i shall never get on my legs he exclaimed kicking away with all his might Hurrah now i'll be drowned entirely bawled gerald as the water again washed over him his shouts fortunately at this juncture attracted the attention of jack who setting him and tom on their legs told them to go below and turn into their hammocks as they were not of the slightest use on deck drenched to the skin and crestfallen after holding on to each other for half a minute and gazing round them at the dark tumultuous billows they did as they were bid glad to strip off their wet clothes and endeavour to get between the blankets sure i'm after feeling mighty queer said gerald as he was trying to scramble into his hammock but it would not remain quiet as it was accustomed to do so do i groaned tom i didn't think anything could upset me but this is awful faith there's but little fun in it at all at all cried gerald who had succeeded in getting in and covering himself up will we all be drowned do you think i hope not my brother jack seems to consider that there's nothing in it and of course he's right Oh the frigate gave a pitch which made tom feel as if he was going to be shot feet foremost along the deck Hurrah! now where will we be after going to cried paddy from his hammock belay the slack of your jaws youngsters growled out old higson who had just turned in after his watch and being perfectly indifferent to all the rolling and pitching and the wild uproar of the elements wanted to go to sleep if you make such a row my colt and your backs will become acquainted with each other before long why man alive it isn't we are making the row sure it's the wind and the big waves outside this ship exclaimed paddy the midshipman's small voices were however much more disturbing to the old mate than the sounds of the gale a threatening growl was the only answer he condescended to make as he had no intention to take the trouble of turning out of his hammock to execute the vengeance he promised tom also by this time was dropping off to sleep and gerald shortly after followed his example they ought properly to have kept the morning watch but they were not called till the hammocks were piped up they had then to turn out feeling utterly unable to do anything but sit on their chests and languidly clutch their wet clothes the two marines acting as their servants at length came aft looking as pale and miserable as they were and suggested that it would be wiser to get out some dry things dressing after several pauses was accomplished and washing having been dispensed with they managed to reel into the berth there sat higson with coffee-pot in hand and most of the other oldsters holding on to cups and plates the biscuit-boat and more substantial viands being secured by puddings on the table i have ordered some fat bacon especially for you fellows said the former looking at tom and gerald it's the best thing for you oh don't they groaned in chorus horrible why don't you'll never become sailors till you've eaten half a pound apiece every morning for at least a week the fat bacon was brought tom tried to lift a piece to his mouth at the end of his fork but his lips curled he could not have done it to save his life gerald essayed to do likewise with the same result they were not alone in their misery the assistant surgeon two clerks and another midshipman looked equally pale and miserable come come youngsters munch away said hickson it's time to finish breakfast i wish to be a sailor cried tom again manfully lifting the piece of pork towards his loathing lips but though his spirit was high his feelings overcame him and he bolted out of the berth followed by gerald and several others amid the laughter of the seasoned hands Tom's misfortunes did not end here for the frigate giving a violent roll he butted his head foremost right between the legs of mr jennings the tall lieutenant of marine's who not being especially firm on them just then was upset in a moment the rest of the party including mctavish the assistant surgeon escaping from the berth now came tumbling over them and there the whole lay stretched on the deck kicking frantically as if knocked over by a dose of canister fired into their midst the prostrate officer utterly unable to rise shouted for some time in vain for assistance at length his cries were heard by the corporal of marines and two of his men who hurrying aft to his rescue hauled off the Cumbent midshipman and McTavish and set Lieutenant Jennings foaming with indignation on his legs. Beg pardon, sir. I didn't intend it, cried Tom. I won't do it again. But Tom was counting without his host. For at that instant, the ship giving another roll threw him once more against the luckless lieutenant, who grasping at the corporal, over they all went mctavish and gerald who had been thrown against the other jollies bringing them again right over lieutenant jennings to the deck this is unbearable he spluttered out i'll have you youngsters put under arrest marines can't you keep your legs help me up get off me all you i say but as the marines could not help themselves it could scarcely be expected that they could assist their officer still less could the medico and the midshipmen the sergeant however hearing the uproar followed by a couple of his men with a faint idea that a mutiny of some sort had broken out hurried aft and with the assistance of higson amid the other ulsters who came out of the berth to see what was the matter quickly got the mass of struggling humanity disentangled and placed in as upright position as circumstances would allow the lieutenant ought really to have been much obliged to tom for his anger completely overcame the nausea from which he had been suffering but ungrateful like too many others as higson observed he went back into the gun-room demanding condign punishment on the head of his benefactor and his messmates he was saved thereby from witnessing the effect of that leveller of mankind sees sickness on nearly half his men who lay about the deck unable to move and only wishing that the ship would go down and bring their misery to an end jack soon soothed the temper of his brother officer who was a brave and really a good-natured man and then went to look after tom and gerald he advised them to lie down with their eyes shut in the berth which was now vacated the occupants being called off to their respective duties and the assistant surgeon having retired into the dispensary to concoct a specific against sea-sickness of his own invention which made him and those he persuaded to take it ten times worse soon afterwards all hands were piped on deck and the sea-sick had to appear as well as the rest the report had been made to the captain that a man had been knocked overboard but who was the sufferer was uncertain the frigate was bravely breasting the foaming billows under close-reefed topsails ever and anon a hissing sea striking her bows and its crest sweeping across the deck the spray in dense showers coming right aft and rendering flushing coats and tarpaulins necessary to those who desired dry skins overhead the dark clouds flew rapidly by showing no abatement of the gale far astern was the tudor with no fore topsail set showing that either the mast or yard had been sprung while it was impossible to say what other damage she might have received if caught unprepared as the frigate had been the muster-roll was now called over a third of the crew had answered to their names richard jenkins was called it was the name of a fine young topman no richard jenkins replied but he must have been aloft at the time the foretack parted and then two other topmen acknowledged that they had been afraid someone had been knocked from the foretopsail yard but the thick darkness and the wild flapping of the sail had made them uncertain the other names were called over no one answered to that of daniel bacon he was rated as a landsman and would have been forward at the time two then in the darkness of night had been cast unnoticed into their ocean grave poor fellows poor fellows uttered by their messmates was the only requiem they received the contents of their bags were sold the purser wrote d against their names which before the gale was over had ceased to be mentioned the slight excitement and the fresh air on deck had kept the midshipmen up but on going below they felt more miserable than ever utterly unable to stand they threw themselves on their chests half wishing that they had gone overboard instead of poor jenkins and bacon more than once they were hove off but they managed to crawl on again and cling to the lids in a way sick midshipmen alone could have done adair on going round the lower deck found them in this condition uncle terence dear when is it all going to be over groaned out gerald there's mighty little fun in this same only the ordinary seasoning youngsters have to go through answered adair however we'll see what can be done for you tom whose head hung over the end of his chest with a kid which had been brought him under his nose was past speaking adair ordered their hammocks to be slung and being assisted in they lay helpless till the gale was over let no one despise the two midshipmen although their messmates might have laughed at them their experiences were those of many other brave officers nelson included and they had not a few companions in their misery among those unaccustomed to the tumblifications of the ocean at length the wind going down the sea became tolerably smooth and turning out they went on deck by adair's advice to enjoy a few mouthfuls of fresh air the effect on their appetites was such as to astonish even old higson by the way in which they devoured the pea-soup and boiled beef and potatoes a junk of fat pork even not coming amiss washed down by stiff glasses of grog which in consideration of their recent sufferings he allowed them to take well youngsters you are filling up your lockers with a vengeance he remarked faith it's no wonder when they were cleaned out three days ago and not a scrap the size of a sixpenny piece stowed away in them since answered gerald who with Tom was eyeing lovingly a huge suet dumpling just placed smoking hot on the table any duff rogers asked higson i doubt if you've room for much i think i could just manage a slice to begin with and then i'll try what more i can do answered Tom. a huge slice was handed to him and another to gerald you shall have your next helping from the left side youngsters said the caterer with a wink at the rest who all thereon begged for plenty tom and gerald applied themselves to the duff which they found rather appetizing than otherwise but when they looked up expecting to get their second slices an empty dish with higson's face grinning beyond it alone met their view however they agreed that they had dined very well considering and from that moment though others occasionally knocked up they were never off duty from sea-sickness section 3